Hey guys, let's give a round of applause to the worship team. Um, They do amazing every single week. My name is Bryce, I have a new life in Christ, and I am in recovery from fear of man, pride, and low self-worth in this past week, um, just a ton of lust of the eyes and some past memories that have popped up from past relationships. Hey, y'all. It's good to be here with you guys. um, Something about me I talk about every time. I'm an Oklahoman. I grew up in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Again, go post. Yes. Yes. Go. Um, (laughs) um, But my dad's from Vietnam. My dad spoke a ton of Vietnamese. I don't speak Vietnamese. My first language is English. My only language is English. But (laughs) growing up, I learned pretty quickly I wasn't super good at it. And so they put me in some extra, like, reading classes, things like that. And a lot of spelling stuff just mess me up in the way that we use words all the time, where we'll have like the same word, but it means something completely different, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like the word to also is T-O, but it's also T-O-O and T-W-O, and they have three complete different meanings. And they sound exactly the same. And so I have a list kind of um, about those things. It's the first three is two, um, or nail, like you have a nail, and then you have an Oh, a nail, (laughs) and then you have a nail, right? Um, Or fair. We were talking about this earlier. Fair could mean pretty, like, oh, you kind of, or (laughs) you're fair like a a carnival, um, or fair like you're playing according to the rules, like you don't cheat in Monopoly. I don't know why any of y'all would play Monopoly, but um, (laughs) I I would never touch it. Monopoly deal is not cool either. Just throw that out there. Hot take. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, or the word fine, like when you're asking somebody how they're doing, they're like, fine. And you're like, that could mean fine, actually fine, or to all y'all husbands out there, that means you immediately ask for forgiveness and you start praying for safety and then you run or you just get out, you just gotta go. Um, <laughs> but there's a, there's a ton, it's interesting how we do that. And tonight we're gonna be talking about the word fear as an influencer. If you've been with us, we've been talking about, we've been in this series called Influencers and we're talking about the things that influence you the most in your life. And tonight we're gonna be talking about fear, but I, really, I wanna be really clear about that. I, don't, I know there's a ton of different meanings behind the word fear. And so I'm gonna name a couple of them and then name the one that we're gonna be talking about just to kind of set aside some mis. Um, conceptions of what I'm talking about tonight because the word fear um, can bring up a lot of different things in our minds, especially in a room like this. So the first one, what I'm talking about is like, what I'm not talking about is irrational fears, like random, I I wouldn't call this necessarily an irrational fear, but like a fear of spiders. Your boy do not play with spiders ever, but we would, my team would categorize that like, bro, that's irrational. I'm like, okay, whatever. Or like a physical fear, like, um, I was saying, you know, if you stand up next to a cliff that's like 400 feet tall, you're probably not going to feel super good because you may die, or you for sure will, unless you have a parachute or something. But something like that, like heights or sickness or like a harm being done to you, that would be like a physical fear. So we're not talking about irrational ones or physical fears. The fear that we are talking about is a little bit different. This fear, I believe, has influenced every single one of us in this room since the beginning of your life. And the scripture would say that it's been influencing um, humanity since the beginning of time. This particular fear that I'm talking about tonight is a deep um, identity, reverence, worshipful type fear. 
You'll hear the Bible talk about it all the time, um, especially in the Old Testament, talking about fearing God or what it means to fear God or fear the Lord, things like that. You'll hear that language. Um, and really that type of fear that I'm talking about tonight can really, you can only really fear two things with that type of fear. You can either fear the world, really anything other than God, you can, and I'm just gonna you know, banner that with the world, or you can fear God. When you fear the world, when you give that reverence, worshipful type fear to anything besides God, it produces destruction, and that's what we call sin, and we're gonna talk about that. Or if you give it to God, if you give that fear over to the Lord, that reverence, worshipful type fear, it produces peace and joy and righteousness. And so we're gonna be talking about what fear is, and then we're gonna talk about what the Bible has to say about what it looks like to fear the world. And then we're gonna talk about what the Bible says about fearing God or why we should fear God. Um, and so just to start off fear, I'm gonna talk about it. Um, the fear I'm talking about to, to um, kind of recap and to dive a little bit deeper into is you fear what you give reverence to. And what I mean by reverence is like a deep respect and awe of something or someone. All of y'all like, y'all understand that there's a feeling you have when you come into the presence of maybe something much bigger than you. Maybe if, you, if you've been to the mountains, I love the mountains, because they make me feel really small, not in like a, like a scared way, but this sense of reverence and awe. Something you, some, for something to hold reverence, it must be worthy of authority, power, and dominion. Whatever you give ultimate authority to, whatever you give this authority or power over to, you will often derive your identity from, okay? So what you give ultimate reverence or authority to, you will often derive your identity from. And, it can, and, and when you derive your identity from it, it really becomes the central aspect of your life. And to be honest, a lot of these things, like you're kind of hearing me talking like, okay, maybe I see where you're going with this, but you could derive your identity from things that are not bad. They could be really good things. They could be things that God has given to us as gifts. But then when we give this reverence or this fear, when we attribute this fear to this object, it becomes bad. It becomes an idol. It becomes something that you should not be doing that with. And kind of the bottom line that what I say is that you worship what you fear. If you make it the central aspect of your life, if you give it reverence that only God is supposed to hold that reverence to, then you will worship it. Here's what Romans 1 says. Paul's talking to the Romans. He's writing this letter. Great letter. You should read it. Um, but he talks about how the people, all of humanity is like turned away from God, and then he hands them over to it. But then he says, he hands them over to it, for they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What we did in the beginning of time when we rebelled against God is we exchanged the truth about God being the only one worthy of worship for a lie. And we put that reverence, that fear onto things that were created by the creator. We flipped everything upside down. It's a lie. And we call that sin. It is sinful to worship anything besides God. And it really is just deception. That's the, that's the ploy that anybody gets you to believe that something in this world is worth more or is worthy of more worship than God is, and he turns your eyes off of him, and then you fall into this um, cycle of, of deception. And it always leads to death, and it always leads to destruction. 
because you were not created for it. Your best life now is the life that you have when you are worshiping God for who he is, not worshiping the creation in place of him. So when you worship the world, it creates those things, but when you worship God, it creates peace because that's what you're designed to do. So tonight, I'm gonna talk about how fear either leads you to to anxiety or it leads you to peace when we talk about what it looks like to fear the world or what it looks like to fear God. Because when you worship the world, it leads you to anxiety and destruction or despair because you weren't created for it. But when you worship God, it brings you to peace because that is where you are um, most in your purpose, the way he's created you to. And often we want to give you guys action steps of what it looks like, maybe to leave here and to think about this. And really, I I want to just have y'all kind of open up your heart or think really deeply with me on the things that we're about to talk about um, so that you can leave this room understanding what it looks like to worship God and to know him for who he is and why we should. And so let me pray real quick and then we'll talk about this fear. Lord, I come before you now um, with my friends here in region on another Monday night and I confess, Lord, that um, it is often so easy for me to fear the opinions of everybody here. And Lord, I know as I've prepared for this that you are God of the universe and um, you are worthy of that fear. And in your hands, um, we are safe and we can trust in your goodness. So Father, we love you. I pray that you would reveal your truth to us, your goodness through your scripture um, and that we would worship you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. So what does it mean to fear the world? In other ways, what, how do we know that we're worshiping the world? And I'm just to recap, when you worship the world you, or really anything other than God, you're giving authority or power over to this that really dictates your identity. And it's crazy, something like a lot, oftentimes you're like, hey, but bro, that's like really, really like a punchy thing to say. I mean, just because I'm giving reverence over to this thing doesn't mean like I'm really worshiping it. And we're gonna explain a little bit of what that means. Because the reality of it is, is if you really take a deep look at the things that you think about, you pray about, you talk about more than anything else, you'll begin to realize maybe what role or what type of reverence you're actually handing over to this thing that was not created for your worship. And, I, and God speaks about it really, really plainly in Isaiah 44. Um, I love it. I read it the other day and ran into Sierra's office. I was like, yo, you ever read Isaiah before? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I feel like I'm reading it for the first time. Um, but we, it starts in verse 12. And it's kind of, it's a mouthful, so bear with me, but it's going to be up on the screen. Um, hit me like a ton of bricks and, I, bricks, and I hope it hits you too. It says, the ironsmith, so to give a little bit of context, what people did back, back in the day is that they would worship statues as though it was actually God. So to preface, God's just telling us the life of a man who worships an idol, a statue that is not God. It doesn't talk. He's got to carry it around. He's got to do all these things for it, but he worships it. He says, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and he works over it with coals. He fashions it with a hammer and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. Like he's toiling away with his life to make this idol. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches out a line and he marks it with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak to get wood 
and lets it go strong among the trees in the forest. He plants a cedar and, he ran, and the rain nourishes it. When it becomes, fuel for, when it becomes full, fuel for a man, he takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and he breaks bread. He's using a gift from God, creation, um, as it should be used, right? Half of it he burns in the fire. The other half of it he, he uses to eat meat. He roasts it and is satisfied, satisfied. Also, he warms himself saying, aha, I am warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. And he prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. They know not, listen to this, they know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I have burned in the fire. I also break bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I bow down before a block of wood? How cra- like, when, you re- when you're reading that, you're thinking to yourself, okay, like, that's, there's no way that I would ever like, spend my whole life getting some wood, creating a block of it, and then going before it in my room and worshiping it, praying to it. Hey, block of wood, save me. You are my God. That's wild. Y'all would never, if y'all walked in, if y'all walked in in my office or something and I was like, and then you opened the door, I was like, uh, what's up, you know? And you'd be like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing, that's cool, just chill, whatever. <laughs> It would be insane, but the truth and the reality of what God is saying to us in this scripture when he's explaining the life that it is of a man who toils to build this idol is that every single one of us in this room have blocks of wood stored away in our hearts that we worship on a daily basis. Mine is the fear of man and people's opinions of me. And I know a lot of our blocks of wood derive from the past that we've lived in. Maybe something has happened to you. For me, maybe for me, if y'all didn't know, like I, I just did not have a good relationship with my dad. And so I felt really unworthy. And so I seek that worthiness in y'all or my team or my friends. And I bear, the, I, I, I toil away at my life day after day responding out of a need to feel worthy of a block of wood, of a block of wood. It's insane, it makes no sense because it's a lie. And so my question for you, Regent, like remember when I said in Romans one, he says that they exchanged a tooth about God for a lie and worshiped creation. That's, I just shared with you, that's that in real time. And so my question for you is, what block of wood are you worshiping? It can really be anything. Like I said earlier, it doesn't even really have to be a bad thing. It could be a good thing, like a job. Like if you have a job, like it provides for you, you know, you gotta eat, you gotta do those things. Um, But how often, a really good way that Sierra was helping me understand is like, hey, how often do you think, talk, or pray about this thing? Is it, does it consume every moment of your day? Like your job is like, man, if I don't have this job, then um, everything's, gonna, everything's gonna fall apart. 
I'm gonna go live on the streets, you know, then that means that I'm not worthy of a human being. Like you've given your identity over to what your job title is. Maybe it's position. Maybe if you don't exceed this, this ladder in the corporate world, then you will not be worthy of anybody's love or care. And so every, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, your mind is, how can I, how can I, climb, how can I get to that next thing? Or maybe it's a relationship. Relationships are not, bad, are not bad things. We've talked about it here so often. It's the reason why you guys sit in a circle in the small group time is because you were created for relationships. God blesses us with it. But we can quickly make that an idol. We can quickly worship that like we worship this block of wood. Because maybe if you don't have that relationship connection, like maybe a romantic relationship, you wake up, it consumes your thoughts. That's the only thing that you want. You go to bed, it's, it's the thing that you think about before you go to sleep. Man, if I, if, I just had that, if I just had that boyfriend or if he would just get back with me or man, you have a codependent um, emotional relationship with a friend that like you just depend everything you have on this person and your identity is wrapped up in it you're pro- and you think about it all the time, you're probably worshiping relationships. And maybe it's yourself and your image. Kind of back to that worth thing that I was talking about with myself. How often do you, and listen, I know this can kind of rub people some wrong way because I mean, I, I firmly believe that everybody deals with this in this way, but how often do you think about what other people think of you? You wake up in the morning, go to work. You interact with your team. And then your boss, like you say something, you're like, hey. And then they're like, hey. And they kind of pass you by and you're like, you know, and you're like, okay. And you go to your office, you sit down, and then you're just thinking about how, man, my boss hates me. He doesn't really like me, you know? And like, I kind of joke about that, but I'm thinking that sometimes. Sorry, I haven't told y'all that. Uh, <laughs> confession now, I guess. What better time, I guess. Um, but you have those interactions with your boss or you have those interactions with your friends and you're sitting there, you're like, hey, dude, what? you're like sitting across from friends that you've been friends with forever and you're just thinking about what they think of you. Like, you can't even pay attention to what they um, are saying to you because you're like, hmm, I wonder if I, like, seem like an idiot, like, right now. This, am I making, like, a weird face or, like, whatever? And you do that all the time. And, I, well, maybe you don't. I do it all the time. Even your peers or your coach, literally whoever it is, your family. And you think about what they think about you so often that your, your identity, your worth, rise and falls on the fleeting feelings or opinions of the people around you. Some of you, it drives you to so much anxiety, you think about wanting to end your life. I've been there, high school, depressed, and it's harmful, but the crazy thing about it is that those things are worth this block of wood. We're bowing down in our hearts to something as fleeting as this. It was given to you as a gift. Relationships were given to you as a gift, but we make it something it should not be. We idolize it, and it causes destruction and pain. And it's what brings a lot of us into this room. Because when when, when this block of wood doesn't get up and care for you the way that it should, or you believe that it should, you start coping. And you start wanting to mend or numb that feeling of unworthiness. So the thing that you're searching for in this idol, you start coping and you go to pornography, 
like I did, or you go to alcohol like I did, or you seek those codependent relationships or that romantic relationship over and over and over again like I did, or you try to control literally everything around you because you think if you had everything here, then maybe it will make you feel secure enough because what you're worshiping is security, but it's fleeting. It never goes anywhere because it's as significant as this block of wood, or it drives you to anxiety. It drives you to despair. And the reason why it does this is because it's a block of wood and it's not God. You were never created to give it that type of reverence. That reverence is only owed to one thing ever, and that is God himself. Giving authority, over to, giving authority and power in your life to the creation creates death. But when you give authority and, and reverence and power to God, it changes everything. When you see him for who he is, it changes everything. It leads you to peace and it leads you to joy. And you will never, you'll never be the same because if we look at this, listen, God himself, according to Romans 1, when he talked about, we talked about God, creation or humanity exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshiped something else other than him. That verse is telling us about the truth of God and the truth of God requires that he is the only one worthy of worship, only one. That's the, like, that's, I just need to, I, I pray so often that God would just give me a reality check, like slap me, because the scripture talks about us waking up for our, from our drunken stupor to like be able to see what's really going on in the world. And I just don't wanna walk blind and think that I know what's going on when there's a God of the universe that's moving around doing things. And I'm like, eh, yeah, sweet. Like, what does this person think of me? What does this person think of me? I'm obviously walking blind. So I pray that God would reveal himself to me and, and to that point, like the reality of God, the reality of our life, the truth of all existence is that God is the only one worthy of any glory or praise and that we are created by him to live under him and to be for him and to enjoy him. Like he is the center of everything that, that we are created to know and to be. And because you were designed to be this way, when you, when you find your identity, when you give that reverence over to him, you walk with a steadiness on a firm foundation that cannot be shaken. So many of us here are walking in quicksand, quicksand. And, I, and I'm here, I'm confessing all, I do that to my, I'm walking on quicksand all day and I'm over here trying to tell y'all that God is the answer. Fearing God is the answer to that despair and that anxiety and I'm, and I'm the worst at it. Maybe that's why he chose me, to tell you all about him tonight. And this is the reality of life. He says it so, so well. Isaiah 40, verses, beginning in verse 21. This is who God is, and this is why he is the ultimate reality, the ultimate authority in our lives. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who, out, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in. It is he who reduces rulers, your, your, your boss or whatever the ruler that you think it happens over your life. He reduces the rulers to nothing. He who makes the judges of the earth meaningless 
people you go to and you're just, you're like thinking about how they're judging you and what they believe to be about you. He makes their opinions meaningless. Scarcely they have been planted. Scarcely they have been sown. Scarcely has their stock even taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Raise your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who brings out their multitude, us, by number and calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of you are missing. Not one of us. That is the grandeur and awesome power of God. He takes the heavens and he stretches them out like a curtain. There's somewhere else in the scripture, we t- I read it the other day, it says, who can measure the water and the hallow of his hand? Who has given God counsel? What judge can judge better than God judges when the judgments that they make, he makes meaningless. He is the definitive factor of everything on in any time of all place, of all history and all reality. What God says, who he is, defines everything we know or believe. There's nothing in this world. There's no block that we have that is worthy of power or authority or reverence the way that God is, the God of the universe. And it is plainly set out here. And what's true, real quick, is that it's not, I don't think that anybody in this room would really disagree Often. I mean, some people here may not believe in God, but most of you in this room, probably 90% of you, like, hey, I know that there's a God. I know he created everything. I've been, you know, y'all told me that before. You know that God is the authority of the universe because he created it. But what's probably true is that you know that he is the authority, but he's not your authority. You still give authority over to those things. And the reason why that is, is because you haven't had a reason to trust him. I mentioned it earlier but there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we can attribute to maybe God just doesn't really care. Like this awesome, huge God, he's way far out there. He's doing that thing. He's, you know, blowing people over and everything's dust and whatever, but he's not talking to me and I don't feel his presence and I've had a lot of bad things happen to me. So, I mean, whatever, like I I have no reason to trust him or make him my authority. But the good thing about that same God who makes judges and rulers meaningless is that he's good and he's a good God and he doesn't force us to acknowledge him as the authority of the universe or your authority, but he came down and he gave you a reason to trust that he is a good authority, that he can be your God. He can be your good father because that God who created everything came down put on flesh, John 1, he came and he put, down, he put flesh on and dwelt among us because he wanted you to know that he was a God worth trusting and he was a God worth loving and worshiping as God because he created us to be intimate beings. He didn't create us to just, you know, he didn't create us as robots and he didn't wanna force your hand into trusting him. He wanted you to love him. So he showed his love for you first. He shows us his character. 
And because we sinned against him, right back in Romans 1, we turned against him, we rebelled, and we worshiped other things than him. That rebellion is what we call sin. That sin deserves death as its penalty. Sin against a holy God, a holy just God requires um, a payment, and that payment is death, Romans 6 tells us. So what happened What that creator, Isaiah 40, did, what that creator did with his creation is he came down and he let his creation put him to death so that you could know who he is and know his love for you so that your payment for sin would be paid on your behalf. You would be pardoned and you could be reconciled back to God. And then you could be in right relationship with him and you could take those blocks of wood and you could trash them, use them for what they're for, burn them, and worship God as the God of the universe, the only, the only relationship where you are truly eternally safe forever. Where you can work on, walk on that firm foundation for eternity, not just a moment, but for eternity. And so tonight, guys, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna about to break. And I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna give some time for y'all to pray, about 30 seconds. My question for you as I asked earlier, I want to reiterate, is what is that block of wood that you've stored away in your heart? That everything you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, and you may not understand it now, I pray God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to reveal it to you. But it dictates everything about yourself. It is an idol and you sit down and you're on your knees day after day and you're worshiping something as significant as a block of wood. And then confess it to the group And then ask God to hear you. Ask him to show you why he is trustworthy. And if you are here and you know the love of God, if you've accepted it, you know that there's still those idols, those blocks of woods, those blocks of wood that linger in your life that's caused a lot of destruction. And then for those of you who do not know the God of the universe, who we just talked about, I pray that you would exchange a block of wood for the real thing. I pray you would worship him as true God. So I'll pray for us, and for 30 seconds, we'll meditate on that, and then Sierra will come up, and then she'll um, point you on the next direction. Father, I, I come before you with, um, Lord, a reverence and an awe and a fear of you Lord, that I was, not, I was not smart enough to understand and I was not smart enough um, to figure out on my own, nor was I spiritually attuned enough. Lord, I ran from spiritual things, but you revealed your goodness to me. You revealed who you were to me and you continued to do so. And so Father, now I pray that as my friends pray along with me, you would reveal to them what are those idols in their life? What, what are those things that seem so significant that we spend so much time on that we dictate our identity and our very being off of that are as significant as just a block of wood? And would you reveal that to us? Would you sift through our memories, the things that are going on in our lives, and... Um, would you reveal that you are the one truly worthy of worship? Father, would you speak to my friends now?
Father, I'm thankful for the gift that it is to be here with people who you have brought here, not by accident. I pray that you would reveal your majesty to my friends here. I pray that you would reveal your love and your goodness to them. And I pray that for those of us who do not know you, Lord, I pray that you would, you would reveal it to us in such a way where we would surrender to you. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray we would walk out of this room with a renewed awe of your majesty and that not only are you the God of the universe, but you are also the intimate God that through the Holy Spirit dwells within us. You said to fear not for you are with us. There's nothing we could fear when you are our God besides you. And that's a good thing. That is a gift. Father, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.